glove. Aim for the five hole. You got an opening the size of Red Square. Thank you, mouthy American child. Please to take my hockey tree. Let's go. From the basement of the basement. Paul, did you leave a window open or is it just that cold down here? I got him cold. How can I do the sports cubicle? My fingers are turning blue. I look like a Detroit Lions wide receiver. Yeah, I, I mean, great football this weekend. Uh, we got some big stuff to talk about. Um, Ricardo and I talked to Kelly Amante Hiller, the head coach of the Northwestern Lacrosse women's team. Mercado talked to Dr. Jeremy Housewright, who released a book. Uh, Mercado and him are going to talk about that and some wrestling stuff. And, of course, you and Marva are going to give us a playoff update later on in the show. It's very accurate. It's going to be really interesting to see who's going to our big suit. Can I say the big game or the big Super Bowl? You can say the Super Bowl. It's okay. But we're not I, making we're not I making a dime game. off of this. Too damn poor to be not making money off this. But, you know... How do you expect me to pay for a rent in the South Loop, Paul? I might very well lose my place to some pro sports team. Yeah, I thought it was interesting this week that the Sun-Times said that the White Sox are in, quote, serious discussions with the owner of a plot of land in the city's South Loop to build a ballpark. And they've been talking with a developer-related Midwest about a baseball-only stadium on the 62-acre parcel uh, close to downtown. It's by the river. It's by Clark and Roosevelt. Uh, by a couple of train yards, including one that goes up to the LaSalle Street Station. It's, I, I mean, I don't know, Devin, like as a biased White Sox fan that likes guaranteed rate field and can't really find any real major faults with it, um, I don't think they need to do this. But at the same time, the franchise is desperate to draw fans. They have a negative reputation because of the neighborhood, because of... Maybe the team, maybe the ballpark's a little bland because they made it haphazardly or without consideration for what other people were doing or for uh, some sort of retro modern sort of look that people were doing in the 90s. But maybe this is a chance to kind of solve some problems. Maybe it's still a south side team because it's below Madison Street. It's somewhat accessible. I mean... Of course, I've got to look at overall what the infrastructure is going to look like. Obviously, the city has to address several concerns before they just go developing on this site. But I think if you can check a lot of boxes like, you know, does this uh, affect the infrastructure? Is this going to affect traffic flow? Um, How is the city going to adjust with putting a ballpark right here and trying to attract people there 80 times a year versus Soldier Field, which is due east of there? That only needs to be filled maybe 10 to 20 times a year. So there's a lot that needs to be said about it. But I thought it was really interesting. And I thought it it gave hope to a franchise that already had some negative Nellies after uh, Crane's Chicago Business reported last year that the team was considering moving to Nashville. And that's why I'm saying, Paul Aceus, it's pretty clear that they want to move at some point. They are done with guaranteed rate field. Maybe it's because the name is so terrible. They know nothing's going to ever save that ballpark. I don't know. But, you know, right where that is, that's a much better location. Like you said, one, it's right. You get a beautiful view of the lake. It's by close enough to Soldier Fields here. And plus, it is in the South Loop. It is downtown. You can literally just be walking and be like, I got nothing to do. Let's go to the White Sox game. There's so many more people just sightseeing that they're like, oh, man, I'm tired. I don't want to do a lot. You know, I want to sit my butt for three hours and maybe watch a team win. That's what they're going to do. They're going to draw way more people kind of just coming in here. Because, Paul, when was the last time you were walking around uh, good old uh, 35th Street? 
I, yeah, I don't really walk around the Loop or 35th Street as I don't live in the You're city. You're a bad example. But, but at the same time, I, I guess there's not a lot in that neighborhood around the White Sox ballpark, and that's always kind of been a problem because there's no other attractions or real reasons to hang out. However, it has a tailgate culture, and that's primarily what the team tries to build off of. They don't necessarily need to have the tailgate culture. It's not like the White Sox are a big tailgate team. There's a select few that do that out of all the fans, and I think you could still have that culture and still have a parking lot somewhere downtown for them to do that. I don't think they will. Or or a shuttle bus from a parking lot somewhere, too. I mean, yeah, I, there's going to be some sort of way that they address it if they happen to do it, but I thought that that was something nice to hear. You know, it's it's a better idea than building it in Arlington Heights or building it in Naperville or building it in Addison or building it in Cicero. Those are all better than moving to Nashville or building it in Nashville, building it in Charlotte, building it in Portland. You know, there's, there's so many worse options than building it where it's going to be. But at the same time, this is 120 some odd years that this team has existed and every single year they've played in Bridgeport. So that would be a major change but it wouldn't change the identity too much. Although um, I already, I already kind of think it's kind of you know there's posers that wear the South Side jersey even though they've never lived on the South Side of Chicago. Have so, you? No, and that's why I don't have any South Side gear. You'll never really catch me wearing. Oh, that. time to get Paul a sweater. Oh my gosh, you know it's like the fifty four seventy five North Milwaukee Avenue lower lower basement. Paulacious Shavari. He's like, a size what? Medium, large? Medium or large is fine. Yeah, I'm gonna send him a Southside sweater, guys. Uh, this is like the Khalil Mack Bears jersey collecting dust in my closet. Well, anyway, Mercado and I had a chance to talk to eight-time Northwestern champion, uh, national champion, Northwestern women's lacrosse head coach, Kelly Amati Hiller. Mercado, take it away. Hey, listen! We keep things rolling here on the Sports Cubicle on WCPT 820 AM and now on WSBC 1240 AM Chicago. I'm your host, Mike Mercado, with Paul Shavari and Pauly. We have ourselves a very special guest here on the Sports Cubicle. We have got a great guest on the Sports Cubicle today. We've got a legend, a 10-time NCAA champion, two as a player, eight as a coach. She was also a two-time NCAA National Player of the Year in 1995-1996, ACC Female Athlete of the Year, the women's lacrosse coach for the Northwestern Wildcats, Kelly Amante-Hiller. Welcome to the Sports Cubicle. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. So, um, I, I mean, I don't even know where to begin because just reading on your resume, it's such an impressive uh, just list of accomplishments and you're going into your 23rd season with the Northwestern Wildcats women's lacrosse team. You are the defending national champions. Since you've you've been through this before as the, you know, the champions from the previous season going into a new season, does that kind of change the way that you prepare? Is there any extra pressure that's kind of like a target on your back being the the national champions? I think that we don't we don't really, you know, we try to as much as possible to be in the present moment. Um, I feel like we have a lot of experience as a coaching staff um, kind of in this situation. And I think just not getting too caught up um, in, you know, what is perceived. I think that how we look at things is our choice. And if we look at things where, you know, we have a target on our back, there's a lot of pressure, then, you know, that's just going to create anxiety and stress for us. And I think if we, if we really just appreciate 
each each day and um you know really look at things and are grateful for you know every opportunity that we have in front of us and savor every moment and just go out there and compete at our best and try to be cohesive as a group i think you know we'll we'll have a chance for success it's not guaranteed but you know, that's the exciting part is to be able to kind of test yourself and see what happens. Looking at the makeup of the roster coming into 2024 here, you're you're about to start your new season in just a couple of weeks, uh, January 28th exhibition versus Stanford. A lot of great returning players to this roster. I see, mm-hmm. um, you know, Aaron uh, Coy Kendall, Sammy White, Madison Taylor, who was uh, the Big Ten Freshman Player of the Year. Of course, uh, Izzy Skane and, and Molly LaLiberty. Um, you know, what's, what's mm-hmm. it like kind of having those women on the team and kind of building the chemistry that you have going into the season, having such great veteran players like that? Well, I think it comes with it, some great advantages, and then it also comes with some challenges. I mean, I, I think every scenario that you have has both. And I think we're just kind of trying to establish uh, who we are as a team this year um, and just really build on that every single day and enjoy that building process. Um, it is nice to have, you know, people that have some experience and know-how, um, but I think it's also nice to have newcomers and, and you know, we're trying to really balance both situations and, and um, you know, obviously, like, just having players that have experienced, you know, success at the highest level and kind of knows what know what it's like to compete at that level, it it definitely you know helps and is an advantage. From your success in Maryland and in Northwestern, and then all the players you've seen come through and watching the sport grow, does it amaze you year to year how often the athletes are getting bigger, faster, stronger, how much they're digesting the offense and defense during the offseason so much quicker, how smart these athletes are, on top of obviously the amazing collegiate work that they're doing at Northwestern, but does it ever just amaze you how fast the sport is growing? Definitely. I mean, just just from where I started uh, playing and now coaching, I mean, just the amount that that the game has really truly leveled up. It's 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 incredible. Um, they the players truly are, you know, faster, bigger, stronger. Um, and I think that from from my perspective, I feel like I've grown as a coach to kind of know how to coach in today's day and age. I wanted to ask you about the scouting process that and the recruitment process that you go through, because it seems like, you know, you have some out-of-the-box thinking. Like I'd heard earlier in your time with Northwestern, you had a couple of women on the team that hadn't even played lacrosse before. And then if I saw this correctly, uh, maybe like the other day, uh, uh, a Twitter post from the the team saying that you borrowed a couple of field hockey players uh, for the team this mm-hmm. year. Um, kind of explain that, how you can find um, these just like talent and skill sets out of women that don't necessarily play lacrosse as their number one sport. Yeah, definitely, man. I think we, we really truly try to um, focus on people that are going to be right for our mentality, our program. Um, and I think that 
we feel pretty confident in our ability to coach and develop uh, as an athlete within, you know, the the style that we play. So we're totally open to kind of finding new talent from, you know, whether it be different locations, uh, different backgrounds, or, you know, maybe someone that hasn't played in a while, like Aaliyah Marshall was an All-American on the field hockey team and and seeing what she could do, or Lindsey Frank, um, same thing on the field hockey team. So I think that's an X factor uh, of ours is that we we're not afraid to take a risk we're not afraid to go against the grain and do something different and i think those those risks have truly helped us gain an edge over the years and then when you're looking at certain athletes and their their fortitude and their mindsets and their background and what kind of makes a person the athlete and vice versa, you know, when when you're going to a place like Northwestern and there is expectations both in the classroom and on the field, how important is it to, when you're scouting a player, not just on the field, but to see how they're living life on social media, how they're interacting with the sport, how they're at- interacting with their classmates and in their classes, because it's all-encompassing when you guys are doing your not just super athletes, you're super students as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we as a coaching staff really view our role is, is to help uh, develop our athletes, student athletes as people, uh, first and foremost. And we feel like if they can carry their themselves and, and be quality people, not only will they have an, a great experience, but the team will have a great experience and will have, you know, an, an increased chance for success. Um, so I do think that that is part of our recruiting process because, you know, you, it, it takes a lot of effort to completely remold someone and, and get them aligned with, uh, you know, what we are. And so we really try to be really, truly honest with who we are and, you know, what our expectations are and, and what we're about. And I think that, you know, people select and, and self-select um, based on what they know. And, and we don't get too jammed up if, if someone chooses a different school. That's, that's fine. That's their choice. And we really want the people that, you know, want to be a part of what we're about. How proud are you as not just a coach and a former athlete and somebody who loves the sport, but just kind of seeing where the women's lacrosse has really, specifically in Northwestern, but the sport in general, has major athletes in all wides of, of professional sports making a big deal out of out of you guys which winning the national championship and how amazing the athletes are at Northwestern. It, how cool is it for you to kind of see the foundation that you guys have built where it's not just a regional thing, it's not just a Big Ten thing, it's not just a sports thing, but you have Stu Gotts on the Dan Levitard show talking about Northwestern <laughs> uh, lacrosse. Like it, it, You guys are on the map. How cool is it seeing from your days of being a, a, a killer uh, at Maryland to this point right now of this foundation you guys have built? Yeah, I think it's really exciting. It's exciting for our sport, um, you know, and and I think us just 
being added to the Olympics for 2028. There's just like a lot of momentum. And obviously you see, obviously you see nationwide, there's so much momentum with women's sports, um, just to see what's happening with, with some of the other sports, like women's basketball and, and volleyball and, you know, filling football stadiums. And it, it's truly pretty incredible. And, you know, something that I dreamed about when I was a kid and I feel you know, really proud that I'm having some level of a hand in kind of pushing our sport to the next level so that, you know, this next generation can really gain that experience. And, you know, hopefully that continues to to go in the right direction. We're speaking with Kelly Amati Hiller, the head coach of the Northwestern women's lacrosse team, also a coach in 2019 with the Team USA U19 lacrosse team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Kelly, you kind of gave that nugget there, the lacrosse entering the Olympics in 2028. Has the mm-hmm. U.S. Olympic Committee consulted you about what a national lacrosse program would look like in the Olympics? Uh, no, I think it's it's pretty recent. They just made that decision in October. So I think that, you know, US, USA lacrosse is really just trying to get their ducks in a row and align and, and establish, you know, how they're going to kind of approach this. And I'm just really lucky to be part of the national team um, system. And, and maybe some of the athletes on my U20 team will end up eventually making that Olympic, which would just be truly incredible. Um, so I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited about this summer. Our games are in, uh, Hong Kong, um, which is also, you know, just such an amazing opportunity, uh, to experience that. So I'm excited for lacrosse in general. Hopefully it's going to continue to grow. It's a really, really special game that was gifted to us by the native American people. And, uh, you know, I couldn't love this game much more. Coach, it's it's amazing that you're you know you're a fixture here in in the Midwest in Chicago, Evanston, and obviously your family in the East Coast. And we know how important lacrosse is to East Coast residents. We know how important it is growing nationwide on the West Coast and in the South, and specifically here in the Midwest. You're you're talking about the national team and the Olympics, and you're going to see and you've seen all the crops of amazing talent. And I wonder, being in Evanston as long as you've been here and and seeing the growth in this sport. Do you ever think about what the treasure trove of amazing student athletes might be here in Chicago in the next 15, 20 years as this sport continues to grow and you have a metropolis like Chicago becoming a hotbed for one of the great universities in our country? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, the Midwest in general is, is very serious about their sports and, you know, puts a lot into it. Obviously, you know, you see great tr- talent from football to basketball to wrestling, volleyball, um, so many of these great sports. And I think, you know, lacrosse has really truly been emerging for a while. And, you know, ever since I, I got here, I, I worked with, uh, you know, actually current loyal Academy coach, John Dwyer and, um, just kind of helping try to expand the opportunities in this area. And there's so many people, that have helped this game grow in the Midwest level. But to see where it's at now 
it's it's pretty exciting, but I can't wait to see where it's going to be in the next, you know, 10 years. A lot of Midwest kids are getting great opportunities to go, you know, play at the highest level at top universities. Obviously, you still have that competitiveness, but do you still get that glee, that happiness that you had when you were a child playing the sport, knowing that the spotlight has been put on your club and you have answered with great results many times over and now it is an institute? Do you do you still get those vibes? Do you still, after all the winning, after all the great athletes, after all the personal success on and off, do you still get those, those vibes? You know, I think in my early days... Um, you know, it, it, in and in certain points of my career, you know, I, I almost put too much emphasis on the winning. And I think now I've learned so much as a coach. And, you know, my greatest um, just happiness comes from seeing a young woman uh, just become really confident, you know, really confident in herself through the experiences that she gains here in the classroom and then also on the field. And, you know, that's where I really get my pride and I pour myself into trying to, you know, help these young ladies understand that they can, you know, kind of determine their own mentality and they can also uh, determine their own level of confidence based on the choices that they make on a on a daily basis and and really how they talk to themselves how they talk to each other and and uh, you know my other greatest happiness is just to see how I inspire people to also have great joy for the sport maybe future coaches um, you know mentors whatever uh, that's that's a big part of this for me, too. At Maryland, you played for Cindy Timchell, who's currently the Navy head coach. But I also mm-hmm. saw that she was the first Division One Northwestern head coach. Nice. Was yes. <laughs> was she a big influence on you and your coaching style? And is that also why you chose Northwestern? Yes. Uh, not many people connect those dots, so I'm pretty impressed with you guys right now. But um, she was a huge influence on me. She still is. Um, you know, I really just have learned so much from Cindy. She she looks at the game from a different perspective. <clears throat> she taught me how to look at the game and myself in a different way where, um, you know, believing is, is truly paramount. And, you know, when I had the interview here at Northwestern, of course, I called Cindy and you know, she just told me all the great things about Northwestern and this university. And, you know, she was fortunate enough to actually be assistant field hockey coach and women's lacrosse coach. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny right now. We have a player on our team who played, her mom played for Cindy at Northwestern, both field hockey and lacrosse. So it's like things totally come full circle and there's probably no bigger influencer in my in my career than than Cindy Timshaw. And then to look uh, not not to, to look forward now on the program, but I saw that your niece 
uh, Dylan in in a recently mm-hmm. uh, uh, published video that that the lacrosse team put out on YouTube, a documentary about the program. Your niece said, uh, not with a straight face, but she said that uh, she'd like to replace <laughs> you as head coach of the of the the team whenever you step down. Is is there an element of truth to that? Is uh, is Dylan a future coach, or if not, has there been? certain women on the team over the last, you know, 20 years that, that you see, oh, that's that's going to make a good coach someday? A- absolutely. I, I think, uh, you know, if Dylan wanted to be a coach, he would be a, an excellent coach. He's very, very smart, you know, has a lot of uh, passion for, for the sport. Uh, the, the, blood ru- the bloodlines run deep <laughs> in coaching. Her family, her her dad coached uh, after his NHL career. He coached at the high school level. Now he's uh, a scout in the NHL. Uh, her brother just graduated from playing college hockey and now is coaching. So, you know, that, that might be her destiny. And uh, obviously I would love to help support her in that and see what happens. So I'm a big MMA fan. I love Brazilian oh, jiu-jitsu. Right. I need to know. <laughs> I heard down the grapevine that uh, MMA has really inspired some of your coaching. How how do you get from what goes on in the mat and rolling on the mat to the lacrosse field? Wow, I'm impressed. You know a lot. Um, I am definitely a huge MMA fan. Um, you know, started with uh, Ronda Rousey when she first you know got into the UFC. And, and now, obviously, so many great talents uh, from the men's side to the women's side. And the reason why I love, obviously, it's a it's pretty violent sport, but the reason why I love it so much is because it's one-on-one and it's probably, you know, one of the hardest things that you could ever do is, is just be able to kind of surrender, go out there and and uh, battle against someone else. So I really study the sport quite a bit just based from a mentality perspective. That's why I like it so much. Um, and my daughter, actually, she um, started in judo, which is Ronda Rousey and, and Kayla Harrison, who's mm-hmm. in the PFL, um, their their sport and so she's pretty she's actually a black belt now and she is into wrestling too she's on her high school wrestling team in one state last year so um i just really love the lessons that those sports teach and um i think it's very translatable to your life um, so I try to take some of that mentality and bring it to my program, and that's probably why I'm the biggest UFC. I love Rose Namajunas, Wei Li, the whole the whole nine yards. <laughs> that's awesome. So for those listening right now, tickets to go see the women's lacrosse team uh, try to go for back-to-back titles this year. They go on sale this week. You can get your tickets uh, right now as you're listening. First home game is going to be Saturday, February 10th versus Syracuse. And this is a tough schedule on the season just right off the bat. Syracuse, then they go on the road at Notre Dame. Coach, is this kind of done on purpose? Do you like uh, giving the team kind of a good challenge right out of the gate? Or is this just kind of how the schedule landed this year? No. 100 percent we just really have the philosophy if if we're gonna if we're gonna do well you know we have to test ourselves and what better way to to test ourselves than than go up against the the best opponents um 
you know, our, our Syracuse game. We, we played them last year in the first game of the season, too. That was our only loss. Um, and, you know, we really try as, as much as we can to, to play the highest caliber schedule so that when we get um, hopefully into playoffs, you know, we really feel like we've been battle-tested. And uh, we've learned a lot from those experiences. Coach Kelly Amante Hiller joins us, the head coach of the Northwestern women's lacrosse team. Tickets are now on sale. It is a great buy, a great entertainment for you right there. And of course, indoors at the Ryan Field House <laughs> while it's cold. But when things start getting warmer, that beautiful Martin <laughs> Stadium, everyone should go. Coach, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Coach. No, it was my pleasure. Thanks for chatting and go Cats. We keep things rolling here on the Sports Cubicle on WCPT 820 AM and now on WSBC 1240 AM Chicago. I'm your host, Mike Mercado, and it is our favorite time of the year, not just because the NFL wildcard and divisional rounds are here. We can see the Super Bowl right around the horizon. Pitchers and catchers are about to report, friends. And of course, the NBA and NHL is in full swing. But that also means that we hear a timer in an arena, nay, a stadium full of fans counting down from 10 to 0. It is Royal Rumble season, which means WrestleMania is right around the corner. And to celebrate not just WWE, AEW, but wrestling fans is somebody who we are so excited to have here on the show. He is the author of For the Love of the Show, Pro Wrestling Fans Tell Their Stories. He is Dr. Jeremy Housewright, Doc. How you doing, bud? Thanks for joining us here on the Sports Cubicle. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Of course. So, obviously, you are a huge wrestling fan. You journalist who's covered sports and some awesome moments, awesome arenas. Before yeah. we get into that, let's do some credentials. Let's 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 get these uh these fans ready to talk about your love for pro wrestling. How far back does it go? Are we talking about the rock and roll generation? Are we talking about the territory days? Are you ruthless aggression, attitude era? Where does your love start for pro wrestling? Uh, I was a fan at six years old, so that would uh, be probably nineteen eighty seven. So probably the rock and roll era, right around them, and Hogan and uh, Andre were doing WrestleMania three. WrestleMania 3 also has the legendary Steamboat Macho Man match, and a lot of historians go back to that moment, right? And for me, I'm kind of the generation towards the end of Attitude Era, heading into the SmackDown 6, and then everything moving towards that way. Uh, My first live wrestling event was in the summer of 2011 at the Allstate Arena when a certain Chicagoan walked out of the WWE as a champion and we know Chicago is a a wrestling city, but when we talk yep. about those moments like WrestleMania three up in Detroit and those photographs getting taken, people mentioning that, telling their kids, their grandkids, their granddaughter, their sisters that they were at that moment. When you were writing this book, are there those type of moments like WrestleMania three where we could talk about Hulk and Andre, but it is the Savage and Dragon matches, the Steamboat matches that really just seem to just hold on to the fan base is hard. I think in the book, I reflected back on my first WrestleMania that I attended was WrestleMania 30. And of course, that's where Lesnar broke the Undertaker's streak. And um, I mentioned, you know, standing in the crowd and being a Brock Lesnar fan, I was cheering 
Uh, but I was also at the time in disbelief because it didn't end um, very cleanly. And I remember, you know, looking around, people had shocked looks on their faces. People were grown men were crying uh, because their hero had lost his, you know, lo- beloved streak. So that was a moment that really stood out to me uh, as a WrestleMania moment. That and, you know, of course, Kofi winning the title when I was at WrestleMania 35 in New York. And then that main event uh, being the first uh, women to main event of WrestleMania uh, was a pretty big deal as well. It was such a big deal, and they were doing such a great job of promoting that particular triple threat match. It was Charlotte Flair, Ronda Rousey, and Becky Lynch. Becky has been a friend of the show guest here on the Sports Nine. People, Sports from the Couch. Awesome, you know, awesome lad, as they say. Obviously, Seth Rollins, a huge Bears fan, so they got love here for Chicago. Chicago loves them, and we all love wrestling and pro wrestling, sports entertainment, however you want to call it. And you talking about those moments, right? Even WrestleMania 30. Talking about that Brock Lesnar Undertaker moment. Heck, Vince McMahon, the legend goes, he went to the ER with Undertaker because of the concussion. But that very night was bookend, started and bookend with the awesome storyline of Daniel Bryan. Now Bryan Danielson beating Triple H and then in that triple threat match against Randy Orton and Batista. One of those moments where it felt like the WWE audience, the wrestling audience, really did force the hand of management and management maybe reluctantly went with it. And I think by the yeah. end kind of was all in on it until injuries kind of took over post WrestleMania, but something like that, where in a show that has that amazing storyline, we look at Lesnar and, and Undertaker as kind of the key moment in a pay-per-view that's legendary. How often does that happen right. in your research of these, amazing wrestling moments over the last 50, 60 years of people just, we were expecting this to be the show stealer, but it was that one that did it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's rare. It really is. Um, you know, I, you, you mentioned, you know, uh, Chicago, I was just there for survivor series and I'm a huge CM Punk fan. Um, that's my guy. Uh, I actually have his logo tattooed on my arm. Um, and that night, you know, I did not expect him to show up everything that I had heard uh, from, you know, people I knew and, and from some of the wrestlers, uh, no one knew. And when that music hit, I, I flipped out. That was a, one of the first times in a while that I've really flipped out at a show. Um, and I had goosebumps uh, and it was so loud. Uh, you, you couldn't hear, you could hardly hear his music. Um, that's how loud it was. Um, so, you know, something like that, you know, um, it, it's really something special if, if you're a wrestling fan to see moments like that. And that's the thing about WWE. They're so good at bringing those moments to the stage. You know, I I think at WrestleMania 40 this year and even the Royal Rumble, I think we're going to see some special things uh, that we'll remember for a long time and be talking about for a long time. Myself and one of the hosts here who isn't with us right now, but Devin Tingle, we were at the Allstate Arena for Survivor Series, and you're 100% right. We see that low, that little lower third bug come up, and you're looking up in the big jumbotron, and it's kind of weird. You can see the War Games cage. You kind of see the, the wrestlers kind of prepping. They're all looking at stage, and when you hear that chord, the static in the chord, I've never had mm-hmm. – I've been to baseball playoff games at Wrigley Field. I've been to – Crazy fourth quarters at the United Center for the Chicago Bulls and amazing overtimes for the Blackhawks. That rivaled some of those moments. And I think 
this resurgence of wrestling now in pop culture, heading into Royal Rumble, heading into WrestleMania season, everything that's happened with the bloodline, everything that's happened with all these storylines, heck, out of the ring with Vince McMahon no longer owning or being the head guy of wrestling. It's owned by a whole new different company and the reign of Triple H. Do you think the resurgence of wrestling is more a byproduct of the product or just that wrestling's always just been one of these things where it's hot and cold from the days of the carnival all the way to the territories to this point? I think it's resurgence really started during the pandemic. People were at home. They needed something to watch. Everything was a repeat except for pro wrestling. And uh, it was interesting to watch it from the Thunderdome. Um you know, at first I was very intrigued. It kept my attention. I even filled out the form online to go on there and be one of the people uh, in the, in the you know, seats. But uh, after a while it wore down, you know, it's welcome wore out because it's like we miss the fans. And I think once the fans came back, WWE slowly started to build. And, you know, Triple H taking over was definitely a plus. Um, he has done everything right so far bringing in superstars. I mean, you look at the rosters, the raw roster. I was just talking to Drew McIntyre yesterday. The raw roster is loaded. And, you know, you got Punk there. You got Cody there, who's arguably the biggest star in the company. Um, It is a special time for wrestling. And I think it was time for it to happen. I think the fans just started coming out of the woodwork and they wanted to enjoy a great storyline that was intriguing, that was uh you know eye catching uh it was something we the bloodline storyline is something we've never seen before um and that's what's so neat about it do you think at this point the merge of sports and how much like them giving a, a world title to the Super Bowl champion, to the World Series champion, to the NBA Finals champion, kind of being integrated, making sure they for years they've been putting them in the front row of whatever arena they are. Do you think kind of that that blur now of it's big time? We're at Cardiff. We're going to be in Australia. How big has that been in the resurgence of this is big time? It's a game changer. Um, you know, I was just telling somebody yesterday that uh, I can remember as a kid in 1991, they had something called Russell Fest at Bush Stadium in St. Louis. And I was there and I remember, you know, being a kid and just being on the field. And, you know, there's only probably seven, 8,000 people there for that show, but being in the stadium on the field uh, was something special. And now that they have these big shows uh, in, you know, 80, 70, 80,000 seat stadiums, uh, it's really cool. You know, it's cool for the fans. And I'm sure the wrestlers are blown away by the reaction of the crowd. I mean, you know, going to a SummerSlam at Ford Field in Detroit uh, this summer was unreal because not only are you going to experience the wrestling, you get to experience the city itself. And Detroit was awesome. You know, I had never been to Detroit before. And I went to a Tigers game. I walked around the city. It was a beautiful city beautiful weekend of weather uh, i wish the event could have been outside honestly because it was perfect weather for it uh, but you know i i love it that they have it in these big stadiums and you know you mentioned going overseas and you know uk and australia that's only going to help the product grow i mean you're tapping into a whole nother realm whole nother uh nation that you haven't been in yet and so it's only going to make the product build more and um 
I think we're going to see more and more of that. I think the time of seeing a WrestleMania overseas is coming sooner than later. Um, you know, I could see one in London or something like that coming soon. And we saw the tease right back in, I think, Money in the Bank from John Cena, that it is going to be something that they've talked about, even a WrestleMania in Vancouver. And I think they've really taken note of what the NFL is doing, right? The NFL has had a stranglehold in the United States. And now the NFL wants to go international at this point. And I think WWE, when they struggled back in the early 90s, that's what they did. They went to international revenue streams and that's what they're doing now. And it's fascinating to see how they've kind of taken that approach in modern wrestling. And he's the author of For the Love of the Show, Pro wrestling fans tell their stories. Dr. Jeremy Housewright, check it out on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. We'll leave a link in the description in the video and, of course, the podcast. And he's done some great work when it comes to the world of sports and pro wrestling and a great uh, writer and journalist. And we're so lucky to have him here on the Sports Cubicle. And I guess the the pivot would be the competition. We've, we've been able to have access to Tony Khan through press conferences, media scrums, and we were able to see him this past uh, all out. And now there is this huge moment coming out for AEW Revolution of Sting retiring. And your book, I believe, is kind of the byproduct of all these years of the fandom and the newsletters and the tape traders, the old school Jim Cornette sitting by ringside, taking pictures type of thing that and Sting is retiring and it's one of those guys in the Coliseum in Carolina. It's going to be a thing and a moment in wrestling history for fans and pro wrestling. So what does it mean for somebody like you to see that career come full circle? We finally saw the undertaker, the Northeast version of that. His big right. swan song has come and gone. Now it stings. What kind of impact does that do for somebody like you? Who's written a book like that, where sting is kind of like that real keystone to a book like this. You know, I'm, I'm a huge sting fan. Um, in my basement, I think I have four or five signed photos from him. Um, you know, the, I'll be honest, he's one of the main reasons I follow AEW. Um, I've always been a fan. And to see him finally calling it a career, um, I wish it was a singles match. I would love to see him in a singles match. But, you know, he is 63, 64 years old. So I understand uh, he probably... We'll just go in and do do the uh, usual moves that you see him do, the stinger splash and and all that. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's one of the greats, and uh, I think a lot of, especially fans of early WCW NWA days, watching on TBS, uh, you know, on Saturday nights, they're they're gonna be a little bit sad to see him go because that's part of our childhood, uh, hanging it up. You know, we've seen. Undertaker do it. Sting is doing it. Uh, you know, I think Chris Jericho is probably not far away from doing that. Um, of course, if we get the rock for one more match, that'll be it. Uh, you know, rumors that Roman may not be far away from hanging it up soon. I mean, a lot. And, you know, I was just saying John Cena is almost done. You still got Randy Orton. Um, but we don't know how much longer he's got left either. So a lot of these guys that we grew up on, uh, are going to be gone and it's going to be time for a new generation to step up and hopefully carry the reins and keep uh, that company, you know, both companies uh, doing, doing, you know, successfully well. And it's crazy that we talk about this new era coming, right? As we put another one to pass and as these legends go away, they'll get their hall of fame, they'll have their last matches and a new age has begun. 
the streaming days have become where now there's rumors about Monday Night Raw going to Amazon, possibly HBO Max and worst case scenario for Tony Khan and their deal with Warner. Who knows where that's going to go? But now we have SmackDown going to USA in a year. Is it amazing to you watching how it went from delays and pre-recordings and the Manhattan Center and Doink the Clown main eventing Monday Night Raw's? to where we're at now with multi-billion dollar deals on three different channels. Yeah, I think like you said, it's I, I just come to kind of expect it now. I think that the product's big enough where these these, you know, entertainment companies know that there's money to be made there and both sides can benefit from it. I mean, Amazon is and that's where I think Raw will be heading. Um, you know, they're huge. So you're you're getting eyes on a product that you've never had before. Um, you know, it's kind of like I equate it to like the Chiefs with Taylor Swift. Um, she's putting eyes on that product. I'm a huge Chiefs fan, so I always bring everything back to the Chiefs. But she's brought eyes to that in you know, a team in the NFL that were never there before. Uh, and it's going to be the same with wrestling going to these streaming uh, companies, Prime and, uh, you know, HBO Max, things like that. Maybe Netflix someday. Who knows? But uh, it can only help the product grow and it'll help the companies grow as well. You know, it's funny. I told off air my co-host that the Chiefs are the Roman Reigns of football right now. And until Josh Allen, Cody Rhodes finishes his story, I can't pick against Kansas City. Don't tell, so, don't tell me Josh Allen's Cody Rhodes, man. Hey, we'll find out. <laughs> hey, me, bro. <laughs> we might, hey, we'll find out if he finishes a story or not. But uh, I think Kansas City is going <laughs> to walk into Buffalo and they're going to find a way to Simone Spike Cody into the ground and win. Leave WrestleMania 39. With a smile. You know, you don't you don't go against Mahomes, man. That's that's Mine. the thing. Uh, yeah. The dude is unreal. Um, and I know, you know, people like to hate on him, but really, um, I've been a fan since I was ten, so thirty two years now. Chiefs have been through some rough, rough times, you know. So it's not like um, they've been great forever. But uh, and I keep telling fans, uh, relish these times while you can, because it's not going to last forever, as you can see in like New England. Oh, and as you can see right here in Chicago, yeah. <laughs> as you can see yeah, right here, guys. I really do. Yeah. 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 And you know what? So do I. <laughs> he, he is Dr. <laughs> Jerry house, right? For the love of the show, wrestling fans tell their stories. All right. Before we let you go, uh, let's have a little fun of predictions. We have about two minutes left to be able to do this. So right. does Roman versus rock happen at Perth at elimination chamber? Yes or no? No, no. Does Rock versus Roman happen night two at WrestleMania 40, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania? Sad to say yes. When does Cody Rhodes finish his story? I'm going to say SummerSlam. And if the rumors are true, will it be Cody Rhodes versus Okada at WrestleMania 40? I'm saying no. I'm saying Randy Orton. Will Drew McIntyre leave WrestleMania 40 after Claymore and kick Seth Rollins at WrestleMania 40, um, barring I, injury? I think I think that would have happened barring injury, but everything I'm hearing, I don't know if that's going to happen. Drew's my boy. Um, I hope Drew – I think they need to put a title on Drew. He's worthy of it. Um, he's His character now is great. I love it that – He's got some fans actually turning against him. Um, I think I think he's a he can come in and just destroy everybody as far as I'm concerned. So I I, I would like to see a title on him soon. And if Seth is healthy, then um, 
I'd like to see Seth and, and Drew. And finally, because we have to do it and we know what time it is, it's clobbering time. CM Punk walks in at number 30 and wins the Royal Rumble and challenges your boy Drew McIntyre for the World Heavyweight Championship, possibly even Seth Rollins' barring injury, a triple threat match keeping tradition going at a WrestleMania every 10 years. Am I crazy, yes or no? No, you're not crazy. I think uh, that's definitely possible, a, a good possibility, but I don't think Punk comes out the champion. Ooh, we're going to hold you to that. He's going to earn it. He's got to <laughs> earn it first. And I, and I love Punk. I've, I've met him a few times. I've interviewed him. Um, I love the dude. He's, he's my all-time favorite, but I think they're going to make him earn it. Well, you are earning every bit of awesome piece of respect and book sale and click and follow because you are an amazing guest. You are doing such a great job representing wrestling fans, representing journalists and mixing the worlds of sports and entertainment. And he is Dr. Jeremy House, right? The book is for the love of the show. Pro wrestling fans tell their stories. Check it out on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever you get your favorite books online. Uh, where can Doc, where can they find you on the social so they can support you and click on all the easy links? So I'm on Facebook, uh, JM Housewright, and then Instagram, uh, Dr. Jeremy Housewright, and then uh, on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it, um, HeinousJ2003. It is going to be a wonderful Royal Rumble. It is going to be an awesome WrestleMania season, and you are going to enjoy your read of for the love of the show, pro wrestling fans tell their stories. He is Dr. Jeremy Housewright. Doc, thank you so much for joining us here on the Sports Cubicle. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Well, we're here. After tonight, there will be two games left. Three if you count the Pro Bowl. But who counts that, Marver? Do you? Because I sure as heck don't. Two games going into the Super Bowl. We already know they're going to be seeing the San Francisco 49ers taking on the Detroit Lions. And the Baltimore Ravens will take on whoever wins this Bills-Chiefs game. It's still up in the air. But, Marver, I'm just going to throw it out to you. Let's just go game by game. So, yesterday, we had the Ravens versus the Texans. The Texans, who were the second worst team in the NFL, I'm really curious who the you know the worst team in the NFL was that year, and the Baltimore Ravens, who had a quarterback that nobody seemed to want and was almost getting ready to you know potentially be shipped off to another team and not get that contract extension he wanted and could potentially be an MVP right now. This game was a massive blowout in a 34 to 10 victory for the Ravens, loss for the Texans. I'm just curious, Marver, were you expecting uh, this game to go in that sense at all? No, that'll be closer. I'm an advocate of the <laughs> rust rust theory where the, the bye doesn't help them, but this time I was wrong. The bye helped both teams that had that bye. I wish they'd get rid of the bye, too. They might as well make more money and have eight super wild card games instead of six. <laughs> and have, uh, you know, that. two more eight and 18 or eight, uh, seven and nine teams yeah. make it in? Yeah. Well, they have the, they have all the same number of teams. No, I, I see what you're saying. They put it, yeah, they put an eighth team in. That's correct. And yeah, why not? The Bears will make the playoffs that way. Uh, happened in 2020. <laughs> That's correct. But anyway, in that particular game, I mean, it was um, Jackson was uh, 16 out of 22, 152 yards and two TDs, and Stroud 18 out of 33, 475 yards. So, I mean, the quarterback battle was pretty even, but they, it was uh, the rushing game. I mean, it was uh, no contest. The top rusher for Baltimore was, was, was Jackson, 100 yards even. And Singletary for Houston only got 22 yards. So all in all, yeah, it was no contest. I mean, it was 3-3, 10-10, you know, and then Baltimore started pulling away in the second half. It was 10-10 at the half, so it was a ball game. But then it went three touch, four, three touchdowns and a field goal in the uh, second half. And uh, 
goodbye Houston. But um, the, those those South divisions are kind of interesting within both leagues where you have teams battling at 500 to win the thing, be it Jacksonville, Houston, be it, you know, Tampa or New Orleans. So uh, that, uh, that those divisions are winnable. And uh, and Houston, wanted, you know, was able to do it this year, but Baltimore got rid of them with, with a big second half. Uh, if only the NFC North could be the same way. Now let's move on to the game that I'm, I know every Chicago Bears fan was interested in, too. The Green Bay Packers tacking on the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, history rewrites itself, Marver. Last year, yeah. the Packers beat the Dallas Cowboys and then lost to the 49ers here. I'm just saying, Jordan Love is just proving he is the definitive Packers franchise quarterback following in Aaron Rodgers' footsteps to a T when you really think about it here. But... This game was very close, Marvelous, and I was arguing this with Mercado off the air, how you really can't count out Green Bay and how San Francisco 49ers have, are not the team that they were in the beginning of the season. These past few weeks, you know, I thought for sure the bye would, I was going to hurt them tremendously, but they managed to pull it off in the end. But, you know, Brock Purdy there, you know, Mr. Irrelevant there, you know, top guy, he really wasn't playing as, you know, peak Brock Purdy that we've seen through most of the season here. I'm just curious. Do you think that the 49ers really have a chance going up against the Detroit Lions next week? They have a chance. They'll be at home, and they did win that game with a minute left with the McCaffrey eight-year run. And um, uh, you know, Green Bay had plenty of chances to win the game. And it, I mean, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Love 21 to 34, 194 yards. But Purdy had a fantastic game, 23 to 39 for 252, and and McCaffrey had his usual 100 yards, 98 in this case. And um. They run the ball really well, and uh, you know they have they always, they always have Kittle, and the receiving end to, to get his 81 yards. So I I think they're a pretty diversified team, and it, it's funny because and, you know the teams that have actually been uh, around the, the 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 NFC title game in the last past few years is like a changing of the guard. No Philadelphia, no New Orleans. I mean, so there's no no Rams. I mean, there's a little bit of a change there. So it will be interesting to see. Detroit is kind of surprising because you know. <laughs> God, God help them. Look who beat them this year. <laughs> so, I mean, I thought they were invincible because uh, the Bears were able to take them. But I like I like, uh, I like uh, San Francisco in this game, and uh, Detroit played a gritty game today. So uh, we'll you know, so we'll see what happens. But Green Bay, you know, they they finished real strong, and uh, and they play, and you know, down to the last minute, they they might have gotten through. I was I was actually thinking that a Green Bay Detroit NFC Championship would be kind of cool, but that's uh, not to be. Jordan Love just knows the rules too much here. And then let's move on to today's game. This game was down to the last minute as well. The Detroit Lions taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, I kind of this was an interesting, marvelous because these are two yeah. quarterbacks in Baker Mayfield and Jared Goff. Both guys were kind of written off as you know, oh yeah, they're yeah. they're just going to get you to five hundred, nothing more. They got both teams to the playoffs, and they both played really damn well today. And, you know, it's really one of those things I keep saying Baker Mayfield was on the Panthers, you know, practice squad playing a defensive end last year. And now he's in the playoffs, you know, two games away from the Super Bowl playing his heart out here. I mean, this is a game where I don't really think anyone looked bad. I just think Detroit just happened to be better at the right time there. Marvelous. And I mean, just what really stood out for you out of this game? I mean, one thing that really kind of hit me was Todd Bowles decision to go for two points with the score with eight with, you know, eight points down. Usually, I mean that that kind of struck me as odd, but they they play they kept coming back and coming back and coming back. So I guess he figured they'd do it again, but they did not. And you know the final score of the game was with four and a half minutes left, with that Evans touchdown pass from Mayfield, and 
you know, ended up 31-23, and uh, I guess they figured they could have maybe get a two-pointer the next time. It was a kind of an interesting play. Yeah, I mean, the 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 uh, announcer said there was no foul in the play, but it looked like the uh, the the defensive back had his back to the ball the whole time and was and was pushing the receiver. So I don't know. But Mayfield, you know, twenty six of forty one for three hundred forty nine yards. Can't ask for more. And Goff was thirty of forty three for two eighty seven. So good conditions indoors, and there was plenty of passing. So uh, you know, St. Brown, their St. Brown was the leading receiver for Detroit at seventy seven yards. And I, I mean, I just. I, I, I just like San Francisco, I think, in the in the in the title game. But uh, Detroit's had a really good good last half of the year in particular, and uh, they're strong. But uh, I just I just feel San Francisco will get the Super Bowl. All right. Well, I, I feel like I know your choices here, marvelous. But yeah, I'm just going to ask what out of these five teams <laughs> since at the time of recording, Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills are not done. But marvelous, who do you think yeah. is going to be in the Super Bowl this year? I, th- I think that the winner of Kansas City Buffalo, which is a tight game at the half, as we're recording, I bl- I think they're going to go into Baltimore and win. I just think Kansas City and Buffalo have the the uh, you know the more recent playoff experience, and I just feel like that game will go uh, Buffalo or Kansas City's way. But uh, yeah, I, I would pick uh, in this particular game today. Mahomes, you can never pick against them. I think Mahomes will win this game and and actually beat uh, go down and, and beat Baltimore. And uh, I like Kansas City in the AFC still. I guess it's year after year. I guess where I'm used to them being <laughs> being there. So, I mean, I just I'm just sick of seeing Taylor Swift. But what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, is she the new pa- is she the new Tom Brady or the Chiefs the new Patriots? <laughs> uh, it's the Sports Cubicle on WCPT. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Give you all the playoff updates and maybe we'll, you know maybe we'll be praving Marver as a football guru or we'll be laughing at him as a football dunce. Have a good night and thank you all for listening. <laughs>